Welcome to the Elisa Childers podcast, where we equip Christians to identify the core beliefs of historic Christianity, discern its counterfeits, and proclaim the gospel with clarity, kindness, and truth. And today's episode is brought to you by Impact 360. You can go to impact360.org to find out about the wonderful summer experiences and gap year program they provide for students. Well, I've got a great conversation for you today about five things that every Christian parent needs to do right now. Guys, this episode is not just for parents, though. This is for anyone, a a grandparent, an auntie, an uncle, uh, anybody who has influence over the next generation. My friend Elizabeth Urbanowicz, who's the founder of Foundation Worldview Curriculum, joins me. And as you'll see from the video, we've been using her curriculum this year in our homeschool, and it is just so good. So we talked about very specific ways that we can teach our kids to think critically as they engage the sort of chaotic ideas in culture. And so some highlights for me from this conversation is Elizabeth shared about how the first students that went through her program are now in college. And so some of the feedback that she has received from them is really interesting as they've interacted with the ideas on their college campuses. Another highlight for me was me getting to share the story of the no good, horrible, very bad puzzle that my family tried to solve this past Christmas and how that played into equipping our kids for a lasting faith. So really excited for you to hear this conversation. This is the one you want to send to all of your friends who have kids, especially parents with young kids who are just seeing how the world is changing and going, how can I start really young and help my kids to learn uh, just how to think critically about some of these ideas. Before we get to that, I want to let you know about the Unshaken Conference. Many of you have heard me talk about that. We did our first date in Dayton, Ohio, and it was amazing. It was so wonderful. And in September, September 23rd, we're going to be in Tucson. So excited to get to announce that to you. It's going to be at Calvary Tucson on September 23rd. And uh, in April next month, the registration will be open for that. You can buy tickets. You can go to unshakenconference.com to register for that. Also, don't forget, May 6th, we're coming to Southern California to Chino Hills, Calvary Chapel there. And we are doing our Unshaken Conference with Natasha Crane and Frank Turk. Also, be sure and subscribe to the Unshaken Faith podcast. Sometimes you don't have an hour to listen to a podcast, but you got 15, 20 minutes uh, where Natasha and I break down weekly uh, ideas that are in culture and how we can approach those things from a biblical worldview. And just before I get to my conversation with Elizabeth, I do want to let you know that this coming Thursday, I'm releasing an interview with Ginger Duggar Vuolo. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Ginger, she grew up as a part of the Duggar family of the TV show 19 Kids and Counting. Uh, She grew up under the hyper-legalistic, unbiblical, and even abusive teachings of Bill Gothard. And she comes on the podcast to share her story of untangling biblical Christianity from the teachings that she grew up with. I just finished reading her book, Becoming Free Indeed, My Story of Disentangling Faith from Fear. And it was so good. And so I'm so excited to get to interview Ginger um, about her years-long grueling process of that untangling. Now, notice I didn't say the word deconstruction. I'm specifically interested in talking with her about deconstruction because she doesn't actually use that word to describe what she went through. And I want to read to you this amazing quote from her book, and I want to really dig down into this with her in our conversation. She wrote this in her book, I do not believe the same things I used to believe five or ten years ago about God, the Bible, and the Christian life. 
I'd like to talk about what has changed, but first I need to make something clear. I am not deconstructing my faith. She says, deconstruction is a popular word in Christian circles today. It represents a movement of young people who grew up in Christian homes, but in adulthood have decided that much, if not all, of what they were taught as children is not for them. They've abandoned their religious beliefs. They tore them down and never rebuilt any kind of faith. And then she goes on to say, instead of deconstruction, my faith journey is one of disentanglement. I come to understand that in the Christianity of my childhood, elements of the true gospel of Jesus Christ were tangled up with false teaching. I've spent eight years unthreading my faith, separating truth from error. So I don't want you to miss this conversation, especially because Thursday is not usually the day that we release a podcast episode, uh, especially on YouTube. Uh, usually on the audio platforms and on YouTube, it all goes out on Sunday. But this week, it will go out on YouTube on Thursday, and then it will go to the audio podcast platform on Sunday. And the reason for that is because I have a co-host for this interview. It'll be Melissa Doherty. Many of you know her. If you don't, you need to go to her YouTube channel and subscribe there. She comes out of New Age, or more specifically, New Thought. She's been on the podcast before to talk about that. But we're going to interview Ginger together and release that on both of our platforms on Thursday. So that will be really fun. also want to let you know, next Sunday, that will be Sunday the—let me pull up my calendar here—that will be Sunday the—let's see, what is today? Okay, it'll be the 26th. I'm going to have a special workshop, a live stream on YouTube uh, with uh, Scott Lindsay, who is a representative of Logos Bible Software. I use Logos every single day, you guys. I read the great commentaries. I do my bi my primary Bible reading out of Logos, and he's going to bring a really good deal for our audience, a great discount on some really great packages. So if you're really wanting to get into some deeper Bible study, next Sunday's live stream will be for you on the 26th. Okay. Without any further ado, I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation with my friend Elizabeth Urbanowicz. Here you go. Well, Elizabeth, it's great to have you back on the show. I'm especially excited because as I've shared with you off air, well, and you know this already, that we've been using your Foundation Worldview curriculum for our homeschool this year. So welcome back. So glad to have you. We just did a webinar together, so I feel like we've just gotten to spend the day together. <laughs> Yes, it's been so fun. So thank you so much for having me on again, Elisa. Yeah, well, as I shared with you, um, and I really haven't shared this very deeply with my audience yet, is that we've been using the Worldview Foundation curriculum. It's the comparative worldview religion. You have several, and I'm going to let you talk about which ones there are because we're going to offer our audience a discount today too. Um, but guys, first of all, just know like this isn't a sponsorship. I'm not making any money from, from this. Um, we are going to be starting to do some sponsorships this year. This is not one of them, though. This is just me saying this is a great curriculum that we've used in our home. And you can actually go to worldview, uh, foundationworldview.com. Is that right? And, and use the code ALISA for 10% off any of these curriculums that we're going to be talking about today. But we've been doing the comparative worldview with my son. And what's been so interesting about it is like, I'm an apologist, right? Like I tell people how to do this stuff. And I realized by using your curriculum, just even the little bits and pieces that I've missed, the things that have fallen through the cracks, like the definition of truth. You'd think that the first thing I would do with my kids is tell them what is the nature of truth. Well, I realized I had not really done that. And so, uh, it's just been so beneficial and so wonderful. So tell us a little bit about what led you to, to do this curriculum and kind of what the heart, but you've mentioned brain research. I know you guys are very intentional with the way you do everything. So how did that all come to be? 
Yeah, well, it came to be because of my background, which is in education. So I spent the first decade of my professional career in a Christian education classroom, a third and fourth grade classroom at a Christian school, and just love teaching. And I love learning about how kids learn, you know, to make sure that I'm always very, I've always been very research driven and want to know like, okay, am I doing what's most effective? And so several years into my teaching, I noticed this problem that these students, you know, they came from great Christian homes. I'm passionate about scripture. I'm passionate about apologetics. You know, I was giving Mm -hmm. them a biblical education all day long, but they were still rapidly absorbing ideas from the culture. And I was just like, oh, hold on, what can I do? And so that's when I just went on this journey of looking for, okay, what resources, you know, are there out there for elementary students that are teaching them, you know, what the biblical worldview is, what other worldviews are, like how to think critically. And everything I found either was for high school on up, which I'm so grateful those resources exist, or it was, you know, like maybe like a book that had some good information. But I know as a teacher that there's a certain way in which God has designed the human mind to learn. And none of the resources that I found really were aligned with God's design of the human mind. So I just started, you know, doing research on my own, creating these resources for my own students in my classroom. And they were just so transformed that people started noticing what was going on and, you know, asking me like, how can we get our hands on this? I'm like, yeah. you can't. I'm like a third grade teacher. I'm not a publishing house. You know, <laughs> go out, like, read your own books, do your own classes. And everybody was just like, no, no, no. Let us know when you have this published. And so that's what eventually led me to start Foundation Worldview, which is a company that creates curriculum for parents and Christian educators and church leaders to implement with kids. And everything that we do, you know, we like to have, you know, sound theology and apologetics that's also aligned with sound educational strategies so that we're making sure that we're making the most of this time with these children that God has placed in our care. So as you mentioned, you know, everything we do is very intentional, you know, even like the spacing of the lines, you know, on the sheets that we produce to, you know, like what are, you know, what kind of lighting are we having in the video? You know, how is that going to be impacting a child when he or she is learning? And so we just try to put in all that work to make it really pretty seamless for those who are using our curriculums, because we know that parents are so busy, you know, teachers are so busy, church ministry leaders are so busy. So we try to take the guesswork out of that so that it's really seamless in equipping children to think well and to think biblically. Well, and it's organized in such a way that it is so clear, and there's a lot of repetition and review, which I like a lot. And uh, another thing I've shared with you that I love about this, and this is something I think for parents to think about, every parent— I mean, that I know is all in the screen battle. Like we're all in this battle together, parents, about screens. And, you know, even if you don't, if you limit your kids' access, they have friends, it's always around. It's always an issue. It's always something you're having to stay on top of and manage and, you know, and and put into parameters and all that kind of stuff. And all of that stuff on the screens is so fast moving. It's contributing, I think, to a really lowered attention, you know, shortened attention span, mm-hmm. which Christian parents, like, we need to think this through. If our kids, if we're facilitating a shortened attention span, what we're essentially doing is making them ill equipped to be able to engage with really uh, complex and uh, layered arguments that they're going to hear when they're older. And hopefully, as we'll discuss today, they'll get to hear it from us first. But a lot of these things have a lot of layers. There's nuance. They're not going to be able to think in any kind of nuance if they're only taking in media that's just really quick and moving from scene to scene, segment to segment. And what I love about your videos, I even told you this, like we put it on, it's like you just breathe. It's like, oh. And you mentioned that you're always shooting for the, you know, is this Sesame Street or is this Mr. Rogers? And Mr. Rogers was exactly what I thought. When we started watching the videos, I was like, Elizabeth is Mr. Rogers. So that was very intentional, wasn't it? 
It was, it was very intentional. That's the question my team and I are always asking ourselves with everything that we're doing with the videos from the set to the lighting, to the clothing, to the speed of talking. Um, and so I'm thinking maybe I should get like a set of sweater vests, you know, <laughs> a card and we'll get you a cardigan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just keep your shoes on. You don't have to change your shoes. That'll be, that'll be <laughs> his thing. That's great. So, you know, today we're going to be talking through five ways that parents can really help equip their kids to engage with the chaos in culture. I mean, I think, you know, that is like the number one question, Elizabeth, I get when I go and speak. I'm not even primarily somebody whose ministry is aimed at parents at all. And yet so many Christian parents, like this is at the forefront of their minds. And a lot of these parents are asking this question from a place of, you know, they're kind of starting out learning all this stuff for themselves. You know, they might know the basics of what it means to be a Christian, and they might know, uh, have a general working knowledge of the Bible. But a lot of Christians haven't really done a deep dive into theology or done a deep dive into apologetics, so it can feel very overwhelming. And so you've come up with these kind of five tips that we're going to talk through today that I think are so helpful. I just give a hearty amen to all of these. So let's start with the first one here, and that's to have an understanding of what the biblical worldview even is. It's understand what is a biblical worldview. Talk about that a little bit. Yes. And this is, you know, in the past 10 to 15 years, I think the word biblical worldview has kind of become a buzzword, uh, which I'm glad that more people are talking about it. But the problem with buzzwords is a lot of times we then we then don't understand what they mean. And so when I say a biblical worldview, I just mean that, what, you know, like we have this mental map of what we believe is true about life and the world around us. And it affects all the things we think, the things we say, the things we do. And we want that to come from scripture. And so a lot of times the mistake that we make is, you know, like we'll teach the Bible in isolation, you know, we'll teach a Bible verse here and there. And a lot of times the Bible verses we have our kids memorized are aimed at correcting their behavior mm. rather than really understanding the truth of God as he has revealed himself in scripture. So a lot of times we're just focused on, you know, like encourage one another and build each other up. You know, yeah. like that's a great verse to have our kids memorized, but we don't want the Bible just to change their behavior. We want it to be the foundation of their lives. So when I'm talking about a biblical worldview, I'm saying helping our kids understand, you know, according to scripture, what is the nature of truth? You know, truth might not be directly defined in scripture, but it's everywhere assumed, you know, as we mm. go through the pages of scripture, that it's just assumed that there is this objective reality that when God says that he speaks the truth and he declares what is right, that he's telling us an accurate picture of reality. And so we want our kids to understand these things or, you know, like when we're talking about God, like who is God as he's presented himself in the entirety of scripture, you know, that's a lot of what you're dealing with, you know, as you're, you're wa walking through progressive circles, you know, is just focusing on like one attribute of God, you know, mm -hmm. God's love without even understanding what is the biblical definition of love, you that's know, right. like how yeah. is love defined and described throughout scripture. So just helping our kids understand all of these things. When we're talking about truth and we're talking about God, we're talking about, you know, the start of creation, you know, we're talking about human life and we're talking about right and wrong, all of these things. How does the Bible as a whole portray that. And so that sometimes I know can be really intimidating for parents because anytime we have to instruct our kids in something that we ourselves haven't been instructed in, you know, it can seem very, very intimidating. So that's where I'd encourage parents, you know, when you're, you're, you're watching this or listening to this, you know, you're on the right track, you know, just start equipping yourself to understand how does scripture as a whole 
speak to these topics so that when our kids think of who they are and they think of their identity, they understand, you know, from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, what is the biblical narrative about humans? You know, that we are image bearers, that we're valuable, that we're loved by God. We've been created in his image. We've been called to steward creation and to rule and to reign over it. And then there's Genesis 3, which means that we have inherited Adam's sin, you know, and not mm -hmm. only that, do we have this inherited sin nature, but we choose to sin every day. And because of that, we are, you know, separated from our creator. And then the rest of the biblical narrative is about how are we reconciled, you know, in that relationship to God. And then once we are reconciled, you know, when we have Christ, the second Adam, you know, the true and better Adam, you know, as our older brother, once we've been reconciled to him, you know, what does that mean for what we believe and what we think and how we live? So we want our kids to understand just this whole, of the biblical worldview. And I think that that's foundational. If we want to raise kids who understand that Christianity is true, we have to start there with the biblical worldview. Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of us Christian parents could use a brush up on as well, because like you said, mm -hmm. that phrase biblical worldview has really become a cliche and almost become a pejorative in some circles. Like in the progressive circles, if you say biblical worldview, it, it will almost... Um, evoke this this sense of scorn, you know, scorn or something because people define that in so many different ways. And so even for parents to understand, you know, parents, if you're listening to this, when we're saying biblical worldview, what we're not talking about is kind of like how you see the world and then making the Bible fit into that. Um, we're not talking about your very specific interpretations of various Bible verses. When we say biblical worldview, we're talking about the objective interpretation of the Bible. Like what, what is the, what is the Bible meaning to communicate? Now, we are on a process of trying to discover what that is, and we don't always do it perfectly. But sometimes I think we think, well, that's just your interpretation, Elizabeth, and this is my interpretation. Therefore, your biblical worldview is yours, and mine is mine, and we all mean something different by it. No, actually, when we say biblical worldview, we mean the worldview that the Bible communicates. Now, we don't always get to that perfectly, but all of us should have the goal of trying to discover and dig out the objective interpretation, like the one objective interpretation of every Bible verse. There's really only one. It's what it's what God meant to communicate there. And so, um, you know, when we say biblical worldview, that's what we're talking about. It'd be like if you took a, like, I don't know, maybe a Quran or something. What's the worldview that the Quran communicates? Not like what you want it to be and then make the verses in the Quran fit what you think it should be. What is it actually teaching that it is? And I think that's where a lot of people get confused because we're living in a, a postmodern culture. And I'd love your thoughts on this too, Elizabeth, of just the influence of postmodernism and this rejection of the idea that if objective truth even exists, that it could be known. What effect has that had on even parents and children's understanding of what a biblical worldview even is. Yes. Well, like you you said right there, you know, sometimes we don't even understand how much other alternate worldviews have infiltrated our own understanding, mm -hmm. you know, and especially like, you know, we've just grown up with postmodernism, you know, like, and, and it's kind of like, you know, like the frog in the kettle, you know, it doesn't notice as it's getting turned up. And that's sometimes us, you know, just living in the world as members of the body of Christ, but being part of this culture that just thinks that there's no such thing as absolute truth. And we can make that mistake too. And thinking like, oh, well, you know, like we're Christians. And so we believe this and, you know, that our neighbors who are Muslim or our neighbors who are atheists or our neighbors who are spiritual, but not religious, you know, like that's true for them where it's like, no, we believe actually, if we actually believe what scripture 
says, then we believe that this is true. You know, Paul says in first Corinthians 15, like if Christ has not been raised, like your faith is futile. Yeah. Like there is no point in believing yeah. in this if this is not real. And I think a lot of times we, we don't understand how much our kids have absorbed this lie because many times it's very subtle for us. But I think, you know, those of us who are in, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, we grew up in a time where, you know, postmodernism was still very prevalent, but there was still this kind of just among the general popula population, you know, just this belief that there was such a thing as truth, where now everything is is so, you know, just soaked in postmodern belief that we don't even understand that our children, when we have them memorize John 14, 6, you know, like we think like, oh, that's enough. You know, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No mm -hmm. one comes to the Father except through him. But what our kids are really hearing is Jesus is the way for some people. He's the mm -hmm. truth for some people. He's the life for some people. And they're not understanding that the claims that Christianity makes are actually objective. And so that's the first step that I would just really encourage, you know, anybody working with kids to step back and ask yourself, you know, do I actually believe that what scripture teaches is objectively true? Or do I just believe that it's more like this personal subjective, it works for me. So it's very pragmatic. So like, this is my truth. And then to actually have these conversations with our kids, because that is one of the things we hear from, mo from people so often at Foundation Worldview is there's this lesson in the first unit of foundation comparative worldview curriculum, the one you're using, Lisa, where we actually had the kids take a sticky note and we put on the board, you know, this question, mm -hmm. is the truth true for everybody? And they have to, at the beginning of the lesson, either choose yes or no, and then mm -hmm. justify their answer. And so many people write in and email us and are like, oh my goodness, like half the students in my class or mm -hmm. all of my children think, no, the truth is not true for everybody. Like I had no idea. So these are the things we actually need to dive down deep in with our kids and actually ask these questions and then look to scripture. You know, what does scripture say about this? And even look what, you know, what do we find is true in the world? We just all kind of know that, you know, whether or not you believe in gravity, if you jump off the roof, like you're not going to fly, you know, because mm -hmm. gravity applies to you, whether That's or right. not you believe that it's true. <laughs>
to confidently feel like they can answer the biggest questions of life. But this is where Impact 360 comes in. Now, I will tell you that there is a two-week uh, summer experience called Immersion. That's going to be full for this year, but you can get on the wait list for next year, and I would recommend not waiting on that. But they also have two week-long summer experiences called Propel, and there are still some spots open for Propel. So definitely go to impact360.org slash Propel. Sign your student up for this. It's a great first way to experience what Impact 360 does with the week-long Propel uh, experience. So again, go to impact360.org. Yeah, no, that's such a great point. In fact, that exercise you just broke uh, brought up where they put the sticky note on the the thing and and had that we we had to spend some time on that like with my son and I and he'd be fine with me explaining this because in his mind uh when when he kept insisting that um, truth is different for everyone. And and it really, you know, that's when I think a lot of parents might feel overwhelmed, like, oh, we've lost the battle. But no, just keep engaging, keep the conversation, ask some good questions. Because what I discovered when I kept, when when I, I was saying, now remember what Elizabeth said in the video and let's go back and no, but tr truth is different. And so what I discovered was that he was actually conflating uh, truth with an opinion because he was thinking, well, if you're cold and I'm not cold, mm -hmm. it's true. You know, he was like kind of confused. Right. And so just having that great conversation to explain the difference between objective truth and then there is such thing called an opinion, but that's not rooted in objective reality. That's just what's between your own ears. That's your subjective opinion on something, but you can't test that in reality. So that's why we call it an opinion. And, uh, and so just helping him kind of parse through some of that stuff that really your curriculum helped uncover there was some confusion in his mind on those kinds of things. So I think that's a really, really important thing. Now, you're seeing the first generation of kids who've gone through your curriculum go to college. What have you noticed um, as far as seeing that manifest in their lives and even in the communication that you're receiving at the at the ministry? Yeah, that's one thing that has been so exciting for me this year, because this year, the first crop of students, um, you know, that went through this curriculum when I was just developing it for my own students, they're freshmen in college this year. And so um, usually every year, you know, I get a, a bunch of Facebook messages, you know, that, that make me sad. I'm grateful parents are reaching out, but they make me sad because parents are saying, you know, okay, so I just sent my son or my daughter, you know, to a Christian university. They came back. They're not sure that they believe that scripture is true anymore, mm -hmm. or, you know, they came back and they think that the gospel is completely about social justice and not about salvation. And, you know, or my, you know, my son or daughter went, you know, went off to a Christian college and they're not even sure God exists anymore. And so I'm, I'm grateful that they're reaching out, you know, and I can hopefully give them resources to help them. But this year, I actually haven't heard from parents who I've heard from actually is students mm. that students have either texted me or Facebook messaged me. And it's been interesting just the conversations that we've had about like, Hey, like in my foundations of Christian thought class, like my professor said this, and this is totally coming from the postmodern worldview. I don't understand. Oh, like, wow. why is this happening? <laughs> like in yes. my Christian college, they recognize you know, the, or, the worldview behind what yes. the professor was saying, even in a Christian college. Yes. Which is so, it was just so exciting for me to see like, oh, they this is stuck with them and they're continuing to evaluate these different ideas. And then I know, you know, recently on your new podcast with Natasha Crane, you, you just talked through, you know, the He Gets Us campaign and some mm -hmm. of the ways in which, you know, they're not necessarily purposely trying to hide who Jesus is, but they're not portraying the full Jesus, you know, as mm -hmm. he is portrayed 
in scripture. And I had students there too that, you know, like in their Bible class, professors were promoting this as like, hey, we should get behind that. And they're like, okay, I've been on this website. I, I can't exactly tell what's wrong, but I know something is wrong. Yeah. Help me think through it. And so it's just been so exciting for me to see, okay, you know, like they were trained at a very young age to, you know, really think through like, what is the biblical worldview and what is it not? And then as they're going on through the grade levels, you know, and even now at Christian colleges, you know, they're able to think critically through whether or not what they're being presented with in class, even Bible class, if mm -hmm. it's distinctly biblical. That's so good. Well, and that kind of leads us into point number two, because you mentioned how your student had recognized a postmodern worldview among the professor there. Mm -hmm. And so number two is, uh, what are the different ideas? So help your kids to understand the different worldviews and different ideas that are out there in culture so that they can evaluate them. Talk about that a little bit, because I know this is something that's very important to you. And I think it's absolutely a non-negotiable for parents in today's day and age. It, there used to be a time, parents, when you didn't have to do all of that because, like, when I was growing up, there was no internet. I didn't even know what the people down the street believed, right? And, you know, you'd have to go read a book or be really exposed to something, maybe in a classroom and call, you know, going off to college. But to, you know, kids don't have to wait till college today. It's everywhere. It's in all the media that's aimed at them. In fact, I have found, Elizabeth, that some of the, quote-unquote, parental... Um, you know, uh, protections that are on certain softwares and, and streaming platforms are worse than the mm. ones for adults. Because like wow. on one particular platform, we signed up for the kids one thinking that it would be more safeguarded against maybe more overt stuff. But what we noticed is the minute we signed up for the kids version, the material that was put in the queue was radical gender theory, promoting mm -hmm. the idea that boys can become girls and girls can become boys. And it was like just automatically started putting that. So we quit that. We, we got rid of it and just did a different, we just went about it a different way. But I know this is really important to you. And it's essential, I think, for parents to introduce these ideas to their kids. Totally counterintuitive. I get that. Nobody wants to do it. But talk about that, Elizabeth. What, what, why is it so important to equip our kids to know what the different ideas are? Yes, I'm going to, um, in a minute, I'm going to give a military example. Um, but I just want to be clear before I say that, that when I'm talking about, you know, the enemy, I am not talking about people like a person. Mm. I'm not talking about a specific group of people. I'm talking about the enemy of our souls, you know, Satan, who's out there, um, who is who's manipulating, you know, like so much of what's going mm -hmm. on in culture and is taking so many people captive so that they're following lies. And so I just want to be clear that, you know, like, yeah. as I use this military example, I'm not like, we're going to go out and fight everybody, you know, that right, right. in a different world. They're sad not the enemy. That you even, <laughs> sad that you even have to make that disclaimer, but it, in our yeah. culture, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. I just want to be really clear when I'm saying that, but I think like the perfect analogy is when you think of, of a military strategy, you know, any army, that solely responds to the advances of the enemy rather than doing making some strategy on their own they've already lost the war when you when an army is just reactionary and that's all they've done they've already lost the war. And I think that's a lot of times what we do in Christian circles, that we wait until the ideas of the world are like infiltrating every part of society. And then we're like, oh my gosh, what do we do? We need to do something. And we wait until our children are exposed to these ideas before we have any conversations with them. And so if we are simply being reactionary in the way that we're training our kids, we have already lost the war. And now God has done stranger things, you know, than save children, you know, who haven't been trained really well. God is course, always in yeah. the business of saving others. But if we really want 
our children to understand the truth and the goodness and the beauty of the biblical worldview of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to make sure that we are being proactive. We're not simply being reactionary. And so in that, what we need to do is we need to make sure that once our kids have this understanding of what a biblical worldview is, you know, like how scripture teaches, you know, what truth is, how, you know, what humanity is, what right and wrong is, all of these different concepts that then we say, okay, there are other ideas out there in culture. And here are some of the other ideas that you are going to face and that we actually systematically teach them those ideas so that they're prepared to recognize them when they encounter them because they are going to encounter these ideas in the media they're going to encounter them in conversations they're going to encounter them mm -hmm. in books you know they're going to encounter them all over the place and they probably already are encountering these things you know even before yeah. we've trained them so we need to make sure that we're being very very proactive in this so that they can recognize those false ideas but also we need to make sure that we're not just creating straw men you know, that we're not just like saying, oh, how ridiculous is it, you know, that somebody believes that life could have started accidentally or like how ridiculous is it, you know, that somebody yeah. believes that you just have to follow your heart. We have to make sure that they're understanding these different worldview ideas and then that they can compare and contrast them to the Christian worldview, you know, because by, because of God's common grace, different worldviews do have little nuggets of truth in them. You know, mm -hmm. if they were just like completely, completely insane, you know, and there was no kernel of truth in them, you know, probably most people wouldn't that's believe right. them. So we want to train our, our children to recognize those things and, you know, to even say, oh, well, that's good, you know, that this worldview believes this because that does align with truth, but then equip them to recognize all of the ways in which this worldview does not align with reality. So that's why I'm so passionate about just mm -hmm. getting the body of of Christ to equip kids to understand what are the different worldview options out there that they're going to be confronted with. All right, I want to tell you about our next sponsor today. That's our good friends at Good Ranchers and Is It Good. As I always say, you guys know I love Good Ranchers. I've got a freezer full of grass-fed beef, better than organic chicken. I love that the chicken is triple-trimmed, much less work in the kitchen. It is so wonderful to not have to stress out about what I'm going to fix for dinner because I have a freezer full of all these wonderful T-bone steaks, oh my goodness, uh, ground beef, even now I, I'm getting bacon. And this this is a great month to sign up for this home delivery meat service because in the month of March, if you sign up this month, you're going to get free bacon for an entire year, you guys. That is an amazing deal. So signing up in March, you get free bacon for a year. You get all American born, raised, and harvested beef and chicken and seafood. It is absolutely wonderful. So you can also get the free bacon for a year if you sign up this month, but if you use my code, ALISA, at your at the at the checkout, you'll get twenty dollars off of your first box. So go to goodranchers.com/alisa and get twenty dollars off your first box. And make sure you do it as this few days we have left here in March because you'll get free bacon for an entire year. Good Ranchers American Meat delivered, guys. It's a no-brainer. It's wonderful. They don't give their money to woke companies. They're good, solid Christian values. These are wonderful Christian people who have the fastest-growing meat company, I believe, in America. It's awesome. Awesome, awesome. So go to goodranchers.com slash Alisa, get $20 off your first box and free bacon for a year. Mm -hmm. 
Boy, I have so much to say on this topic. I'm like, where do I even go? Because I think, okay, I'm going to just start by reinforcing something you just said about not creating straw men. Because I was reading something about one when they were interviewing kids who had kind of walked away from the church after high school and, you know, they'd gone to an evolutionary biology class. And uh, several kids noted that evolution was not taught to them properly in the Christian mm-hmm. home. So in other words, what they meant was it's not that the parents said, look, here's what evolution is. Here's why we think this contradicts the, the reality. This is what we, why we think this is not right. It was more like they said things like, oh, well, you know, monkeys aren't still turning into people. And then they go to right. evolutionary biology class and realize that's not even what evolution teaches. Evolution doesn't teach us that monkeys turned into people. It was like we had a, we shared a common ancestor and, and they realize and then they think, oh, well, they didn't know. And so I think it's extremely important, Christian parents out there, to teach our kids about these other worldviews, these other ideas in a way that's accurate and non-sarcastic, non-cynical, not making fun of them, because I think it's just, it's so important that when our kids are exposed to these ideas in culture, and then they remember, oh yeah, mom talked to me about that, it was a thoughtful conversation. And it doesn't mean you have to know absolutely everything about it, but just to, I'm just going to take like radical gender theory for one example. We're seeing this epidemic, especially among young girls, and my audience is probably sick of hearing me talk about it by now because it just, I really just have recently gotten on this soapbox about this because it's so disturbing to me. But even with radical gender theory, I mean, no Christian parents wants to go to their eight, nine, 10 year old and explain what the world is teaching about gender right now. But it's incredibly important, I think, that we do because our kids still have free will. They still may go their own way when they're older, but it won't be because we didn't equip them to engage with the ideas. So, you know, even my kids Honestly, even just telling kids at a young age, look, you know, in the world, people might say that you, if you're a boy, you can become a girl. Here's why we believe that's false. We believe that's objectively false because your gender is rooted in your body. It's in your biology. And um, so that should actually help you relax. You don't have to pick your gender. Your gender was decided by your creator and your designer. And, um, you know, the world's a little confused about that right now. But if you have any more questions, we can talk about it. I mean, there are ways to do it that are age appropriate. You don't have to get too deep in the weeds depending on your kid's maturity level. Mm -hmm. But it's so important because I've even found like my kids are much more able to navigate because that's kind of, you you can take every screen out of your house and your kids are still going to get radical gender theory. They're going to get it just from walking outside. So um, equipping them even just to know like, here's what the idea is. Here's what it teaches. Here's why it's, we, we think it's wrong. Right. And we're rooting that not just in our own opinion, but in objective reality. We think this actually lines up with reality. Here's why that's true. Um, one more example I was going to give, um, even just from my own life, is when I taught my daughter about pantheism, the worldview of pantheism. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I brought some biblical data into it and talked about, you know, God as creator and all of that. But I also just said, look, let's just look at science, right? We know that the earth, the world had a beginning. If it had a beginning, it had to have a cause. And a pantheistic universe doesn't need a cause. In fact, it was uncaused. It would have to be eternal. And even just explaining how science could even debunk some of these ideas um, is, is so helpful. Just to start those conversations going, and then, you know, your kids will obviously, after that, have lots of questions. Hopefully, hopefully what you have will have done is promote an environment for more questions to be asked. So do you have any more thoughts on that one before we move to number three? 
Oh, I just love the way that you explain that, Elisa, because that is so important that we just cultivate this environment where our kids feel comfortable asking questions and bringing different ideas to the table, because that's exactly what we want. And that's part of even, you know, just by presenting them with different ideas with different worldviews is so beneficial because then these things aren't scary. It's not like they're taboo, like, oh, we never talk about them because it's mm -hmm. not good. It's that they feel comfortable having these conversations that you can actually evaluate them. And then, you know, like as these ideas come up, they already have a framework for them. You know, like mm -hmm. they already have a framework for understanding like, oh, this is something, you know, like that we already talked about. And then they can engage in it, you know, like in a real way without being scared of the idea, without being scared of the person who's presenting the idea. And, you know, knowing that they can come back and have that conversation with you so that it's not like, you know, like the seed of doubt or these questions are planted deep in their heart, you know, and then five years later it comes out and yeah. it's like, well, I've made this decision. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So, yeah. That's, oh, that's so true. And also parents, don't be afraid to say you don't know. I do it all the time. My kids are very smart. They ask in, insanely smart questions. And the worst thing you could do is fake an answer. <laughs> you know, it's better to just say, I don't know. And you know what? Then your kid feels smart. You can just say, like, that's an incredible question. I've never even thought about. Look how smart you are. I don't know. But let's find let's find out. And then you can do a yes. little investigation. And, you know, you don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be a professional apologist. Just be curious enough to engage the questions your kids have when they have them. Yes, All right, Lisa, I'm so I just want to say one other thing with what you just said is I think that is so important that so often we as adults feel like we have to know the answer yeah. to every question. And it's like, oh my gosh, what if they ask a question I don't know how to answer? It is so much more valuable for us to model for our children and to train them how to seek out solid answers yeah. than to train them to believe that we are the fount of all wisdom. Because you know yeah. what? One day they're not going to care what we think. That's, that's right. just, you know, the natural progression of development. And that's you know, like coming that's, soon. That's, you know, that's coming soon, it folks. Is. <laughs> it is. So if we train them to think they should come to us and we should be able to answer all of their questions, then they're going to just going to transfer that authority onto someone else. Mm. And who knows who else that's going to be, where if they come to us and we're like, that is an amazing question. I have no idea. You know what? Let's spend some time tomorrow actually seeking out an answer. And we actually go and do some research and we're training them how to do research, that is so mm. much more valuable than training them to believe that we are the fount of all wisdom. <laughs> so good. So good. All right. Number three here says equip. Oh, so important here. Equip kids to soundly read, interpret, and apply the Bible. Yes. This is something, you know, like when we think about raising kids, you know, I'm sure, Elisa, you know, that that you're training your kids how to do certain things, you know, how some basic cooking skills, eventually, you know, how to do their own laundry, you know, how to clean a sink, you know, all of these things, because our goal with our children is always independence. You know, we don't want to be cooking yeah. them breakfast every morning when they're 28 years old. We don't want to be financially supporting them when they're 42. You know, like we just strive for independence, but for some reason, and I'm not exactly sure why it is, for some reason in the Christian community, when it comes to actual Bible instruction and equipping kids how to interact with scripture, we do not strive for independence. Mm -hmm. We tend to think like, oh, I have to plan this devotional. I have to plan this engaging and interactive Bible lesson, or like yeah. I have to read this passage of scripture. And now doing those things is not bad. Like if there's parents or, you know, Christian educators or pastors out there that are doing these things, it's great that you're thinking about this intentionally, but we need to think through what are we doing to equip our children so that by the time they leave our home, our churches, our schools, that they have already been reading, interpreting, and applying scripture in a sound way for years so that they understand how to interact 
with God's word. This is a, another kind of like epiphany that I had in my classroom. Mm -hmm. um, one day I was teaching a Bible lesson and um, the third grade curriculum um, at my school, it went through the Pentateuch, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. So you're not like, I mean, there's some pretty dry areas you yeah, know, yeah. In, the, sure. in the first Admittedly. five books of the Bible. Yes. But, but we were, I would always plan these engaging and interactive Bible lessons. And then one afternoon I gave my students an assignment and they were really excited about it. You know, they were doing it in Bible class. And all of a sudden I had this thought, what are they going to do when I'm not here over the mm. summer? Like, are they going to have any interaction with scripture? And I knew the answer to that question without a doubt. No, they were not because I hadn't given them any skills, you mm. know, to read, interpret and apply scripture. So I completely changed my Bible instruction that year and just started teaching them how to read God's word. And that's something I would really encourage anybody listening or watching to make sure that you're doing. And, and I, I recommend three different things that we do. The first thing that we make sure that we have equipped them to understand the meta narrative of scripture, that they understand the story from Genesis through revelation. Mm -hmm. And a really simple way to do this is just, you know, break up Bible history into different time periods, you know, like creation, fall, early history, patriarchs, slavery, exodus, wilderness wanderings, you know, just these bigger time periods and have them get familiar with them so that any time they're listening to a sermon or they see a meme with a Bible verse on it, you know, or somebody quotes some scripture, they're able to say, okay, what period in Bible history does that take place from, mm. you know, because a command that comes from the giving of the law in the book of Leviticus is very different than a command that is given to us in Colossians, you know, because mm -hmm. there's two different settings there. And so we always want our kids to be able to ask, okay, which time period in Bible history is this taking place? So that's the first thing I recommend, you know, just make sure they yeah. understand the meta narrative of scripture. The second thing is just equip them with basic skills in sound biblical interpretation. You know, things that I know you've talked about on this podcast many times before, like reading verses in context, mm -hmm. you know, like one yeah. thing I love to do with kids is I'll show them a meme. Um, I think it's Psalm, is it Psalm 46, seven? It's somewhere in Psalm 46 that says, God is within her, she will not fail. Oh. And you know, like without fail, that meme is like girl power. Oh, people you know, put like, that on a pillow, on my yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's all over the place. You know, so I'll, I'll have them look at that and say, what does it sound like this verse is saying? Like mm. with God on my side, like you better watch out because anything right. that my heart desires is coming true. <laughs> right, Where right. Then I'll have them read all of Psalm 46 and we'll talk about, okay, what is the her or who is the her mm. in this psalm? And when you read it in context, the her is the city of God, Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, is this verse about you and me? No, it's not. It's about a city. And then talk yeah. about where does this fall within God's big story? You know, this is taking place during the time of the United Kingdom under King David. And this is God faithfully fulfilling his promise to his people that he promised that if they obeyed his law, that he would protect them. And look at this is showing that God is fulfilling his covenant, that they're obeying him, you know, in this time and he is protecting them. So just teaching kids, you know, those basic skills, like reading verses in context, asking, is this passage descriptive or prescriptive, you know, basic skills. And then the mm -hmm. third thing I recommend is teaching kids how to read different biblical genres. You know, we do mm. this in school all the time. When we teach kids how to read poetry, we're teaching them to read it and look for figurative language, you know, and what, you know, like, what is the meaning here? You know, like, what is the different imagery used? We teach them then to read history books in a different way. You know, similar mm -hmm. to, we teach them to read fairy tales in a different way. And so we want to equip them to look at, okay, what genre is this passage mainly? You know, what, what, 
broad mm-hmm. category does this fall under? How do I correctly read this genre? You know, because reading prophecy in the book of Isaiah is going to be different than reading, you know, a historical narrative in Second Samuel. And so we just want to equip them with some of these basic skills so that, you know, once they have this understanding of the biblical worldview, once they understand, you know, the different worldviews that are out there, they're equipped to continue studying scripture on their own and to be prepared. You know, you talk a lot about progressive Christianity, you know, in your own journey of, you know, what was going on in that class that you were Mm -hmm. taking at church, you know, and how you had to like dive into scripture and dive into apologetics. And that's what we want our kids to be trained to do. You know, that anytime they're encountering someone who's taking God's word out of context and twisting it to make it sound like it means something that it doesn't mean, that they're equipped with the skills to then go on their own and say, okay, is this what this passage means? So that they can discern the truth on their own. You know, someone who models this really well is Mike Winger, because he'll do Q&As. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've watched many of Mike's Q&As, yeah. and people will ask him about a particular verse, and I'm, sometimes I'll be out walking, and I'm listening, I'm like, oh, Mike, that's a tough one. <laughs> but it's like, what he'll do every time is he'll open up the that particular, okay, let's take a look at it. Let's look at what's going on, and he'll go uh, you know, he'll go before it and after it and figure out the the big context and then the, the more immediate context. And uh, and then he can kind of reason it out from there, but he's modeling uh, what that looks like to do something like that. And I'm sure there are probably parents listening to this right now feeling a little overwhelmed, like, you know, you're men- mentioning all these different periods of biblical history, and you might be thinking, like, I don't even know what those things are. Well, that's a great way to start engaging. Um, you know, a lot of times, again, when I do Q&As and things, people do. They're like, where do I start? And I say, start with with the question that's in front of you. You don't have to have a podcast. You don't have to be a scholar. But like, if there's an issue that you know is weak and you need to strengthen up, start there. So parents, if you're listening and you're like, gosh, I need for myself to have a better understanding of the basic, you know, uh, historical periods in the Bible so that I can help my kids with that. Um, There's uh, some really great resources out there. Uh, There's uh, Dallas Theological Seminary offers several classes for free online. And Mm -hmm. biblical interpretation is one of them. I've gone through that one. It was excellent, very good, just basic, helping you. um, You know, Elizabeth mentioned in the point that there's reading, interpreting, and applying. I have found that most commonly Christians conflate interpreting and implying as as if they're the same thing because they don't realize those are actually two different things. Before you figure out what it how it applies to your life, you have to understand what it actually means, what it meant to the original audience and what it means today before you even apply how that would actually apply to your own life. And I have found that a lot of Christians are confused about that. So maybe check um, I'm not sure if it's like dts.org something like that. You can find them online. They're free and you take little quizzes to pass each thing. So that's really helpful. There's also how to read the Bible for all it's worth the book by uh, Stuart and Fee, I think is or who the authors are, just really basic ways to help you understand how to read, interpret, and apply the Bible. First, you have to read it, know what the words are saying, then you interpret what they mean, then you apply it to your life. And I think even just having those categories straight and modeling that for our kids can be such a great way. And also, Elizabeth, one thing we do when we do devotions, we don't do a planned like lesson. We just read scripture. So, um, yes. and and you've just inspired me. Like I want to do a better job at teaching my kids where this falls in history. Because what we do, what we have been doing, is also, I've tried to say, okay, New Testament is Jesus beyond. Old Testament is leading up to Jesus. So that's all before Jesus. And so when we're reading a particular book, I'll say, now is this before Jesus or you know mm-hmm. Jesus plus? Great right. Um, and so at least they 
have a concept of the difference between God giving the law to Israel and maybe Paul commanding something to the church in Romans or something. And so we'll, but we'll read. And as we read, there are days when we just read a big chunk, nobody has any questions and we pray and go on our day. But I Mm -hmm. find very often with kids, as we're reading through, somebody will perk up and go, wait, what? And that's when I know, okay, this is the, op- this is the, this yeah. is the moment, guys. This is the moment yeah. we've been waiting for. And so whatever question they have, you know, we'll go through and look at, and look at the context and say, well, let's, let's analyze why, why did that hit you weird? Let's figure it out and like, look at the context and look at some other passages of scripture that speak to the same thing. Um, and, and even just reading through, like, I didn't realize how like funny Paul is sometimes, like when he's, you know, when he's going against some of the leaders and you see how the other ones are just, you know, they're flattering each other. And Paul's just like, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, It's like, yeah. and, but when you read it all together in, in its context, you kind of get some of those nuggets that you wouldn't otherwise. So read the Bible with your kids. Yeah. Don't skip the hard stuff, but engage with the hard stuff and um, help them learn how to do that. Any other thoughts on that one, Elizabeth? Well, I was going to say another great free resource. I know that you've had her on your podcast before, but um, the Bible recap oh, that yeah. uh, D Group, Tara Lee Cobble puts out, that's a great yes. free resource. It just guides you through reading scripture in a year. And Tara Lee does a great job of making sure that she's explaining, you know, like what what's going on in history. And so you get the Bible chronologically, because if you just read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you're actually not getting a chronological, um, I mean, a general, a general right, chronological, sure, you know, sure. yes, the Old Testament and New Testament are separated, but you're not actually getting the chronological history. Um, so Tara Lee does a great job of just guiding the people that go through that through, okay, what is the chronological Bible. Yeah. And so that's a great free resource that I would recommend. Yeah, I, I echo that as well, especially if you have never read through the Bible. Read through the Bible chronologically. Because, you know, reading through the Bible chronologically, if you don't, you may not realize like Job, the book of Job actually kind of yeah. happens somewhere around Genesis, what, 11 or 12, somewhere around in there. And you, yeah. you know, you don't realize like, oh, that was kind of going on at that same time as this was happening. And so that's really helpful. And again, yeah, just to echo what Elizabeth said, uh, Tara Lee does a phenomenal job, not only of explaining what you just read, but she's brilliant, I think, at avoiding denominational pitfalls. So yes. like a Calvinist, an Arminian, a charismatic, uh, the, you can all listen to the Bible recap and she's going to not like get super specific on interpretations that might divide denominations. She's really good at that. So Bible recap, that's another great one. All right. Number four, carefully evaluate ideas. This has to do with critical thinking, doesn't it? This is a great point. Yes. Yes. And I think, you know, our culture is so busy, as you mentioned before, you know, I mean, there's so many great things for us to be involved in. There's just so much information coming at our kids. You know, when you actually break down how many different ideas that kids receive each day and each week, and then you think about what's been going on, you know, throughout human history, most likely our children are receiving more competing ideas in one year of their life Mm. than most people throughout human history have received in their entire lives. And so part of what we really need to do, you know, is just to train them to slow down, Mm. (laughs) you know, and anytime they hear an idea to just say, okay, pause, let's pause. What did you just hear? Mm. What was that person or that show or that advertisement or that book or whoever claiming so that we're actually just training their brains rather than being on this, you know, rapid fire from one thing to another, pausing and saying, okay, what did we just hear? Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's, 
almost half the battle, you know, because if they're actually thinking through, what did I just hear? They're not just going to be passive recipients of information. We're actually training them to be active evaluators of the ideas that they encounter. So I just recommend, you know, parents or anybody working with kids that you're just constantly, anytime, you know, you see a commercial, anytime you're watching a show, anytime you're listening to a song, you just pause and say, Hey, hold on for a second. What did we just hear? What did that person just say? And depending on the children you're working with, they may roll their eyes and mm-hmm. it is very possible that they may mm-hmm. roll their eyes. And I they, promise you know, like, that was <laughs> Yes. Yes. And that was me when I was growing up. My mom did this all the time with us. And I am so glad that she persisted because she trained me to be a critical thinker, even when I didn't want to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so what we're doing when we're actually pausing, even if our children don't want to engage is we're actually helping to create different neurological pathways in their brain. Because, you know, rather than just letting them continue at this rapid pace, we're having them slow down and just retrain their brain. So that's the first thing, you know, just pause it like time out. Mm-hmm. What idea did I just hear? And then a, a, just a couple different skills that I recommend, you know, that parents or anybody working with kids implement is then to ask their kids, okay, what we just heard was that person making an objective truth claim mm-hmm. or were they just making a subjective preference claim? Because if that was person was just telling us, you know, their subjective preference about ice cream or, you know, whatever in life, like great for them. So happy they felt, you know, they felt compelled to share that with us. <laughs> you know, but if they're making an objective truth claim, that's something that we can actually test and we can actually look for evidence for. So if someone is making an objective truth claim, then our responsibility, once we've heard that, is then to figure out, okay, does the evidence point towards this being true? Or does the evidence point away from it being true? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, there's so many different ways we can train our children to do this. You know, teaching them basic laws of logic, you know, Mm -hmm. just, you know, just talking about, you know, that I, an idea can't be true and false at the same time and in the same way. And, you know, like the classic example, you know, that I know a lot of apologists like to use is when somebody says, you know, like, don't judge me, you know, mm-hmm. or, or somebody says, you know, like, it's wrong to judge, you know, that statement, we can actually ask our kids, okay, so what is that person saying? They're saying that it's objectively wrong mm-hmm. to tell someone they're wrong. So what did that person just do? Mm-hmm. They made it objective judgment that making judgments is wrong. So if that statement is true, then it's actually false (laughs) because it's self-defeating. So just teaching them, you know, simple things like that, or just, you know, training them to just, you know, ask good questions, you know, because our kids are going to hear so many things on YouTube and TikTok and Disney plus, and even on the playground. And just Mm -hmm. to be able to ask the, you know, question like, where'd you get that information? You know, what makes you think? that that's true. And if somebody doesn't have a good reason, you know, then we don't necessarily have a good reason to believe, you know, what they said. And so I think just, you know, training our kids to think, well, it takes a long time. It can be overwhelming. Again, that's why we do what we do at Foundation Worldview, because we know that most people don't have the time to sit down and think like, okay, how do I systematically train my children and all these things? We're like, let us help you, you know, like, let us figure out how to do that. Just implement this. But even just equipping our kids to pause, what idea did I just hear? Is that an objective truth claim, a subjective preference claim? And then what evidence has this person provided to support yeah. their claim is so beneficial and actually necessary in this current cultural context in which we find ourselves. Yeah. So, and, and I would say to parents, 
the number one way, like I know that a lot of you just heard what Elizabeth did and you're like, that was brilliant. How do I do that? <laughs> and what honestly, what it takes is a lot of repetition. You actually have to equip yourself before you can have natural conversations with your kids. Like I remember, Elizabeth, when I first started studying apologetics, the cosmological argument, um, which we've talked a little bit about on the podcast before, but that was something that was really compelling to me. But I couldn't articulate it to somebody else. It actually took me about a year of really studying it, listening to lots of lectures, reading a couple books before I was able to even express it in a way that was sort of natural and not just make me sound like, you know, like one of those people with the crime boards where everything, all the things are connecting <laughs> and you just kind of look like a crazy person. Um, but I, it took a really long time to get it so into my bones that I could just express it and have a natural conversation with somebody. Um, and it's really the same, like what Elizabeth was just talking about is uh, it has to do with the, the objective nature of morality and truth. And equipping ourselves to understand that is, is really helpful. And even role-playing with each other conversations that could happen or spotting it in your social media. Like one thing I always have people do is look at your social media newsfeed and just look for logical fallacies. I do this with my daughter. She doesn't have social media, but we'll just look at different, uh, you know, TV shows or whatever. And it's like, if you, you get like extra credit every time you can spot a logical <laughs> fallacy, I'm going to give you extra credit for your critical thinking class. So she's always looking for, you know, logical fallacies. And, but you have to know them too. And that's really the key. You can't just give your kid a book and expect them to learn it. Like we have to equip ourselves. Um, great resource for critical thinking for kids. We're doing the fallacy detective this year. It's really an yeah. awesome, easy introduction to different logical fallacies. I've seen great fruit of that. And then just another piece of advice on this point that I would offer to parents is, um, and I'll explain what I mean by this, but reward good choices and mature choices and good discernment. And here's mm -hmm. what I mean by that. One thing I noticed with my kids is that when I did try to equip them to spot bad ideas in media, they were afraid I was going to take the media away because it had a bad idea in it. Oh. And I noticed that and they would they would be like, well, no, and they would almost defend the media. I said, guys, okay, let's just take a step back here. I am actually more prone to let you continue to watch and engage with this media if I'm confident that you can discern it properly than if you defend a bad idea. That makes me think that you can't see through it. So you're going to have a much better shot of getting to continue to engage with the media if you can show me that you that you are analyzing thoughtfully and using discernment. And then something clicked and it, with that. So where they know that if they do admit that this show has a bad idea in it or something that's anti-biblical, you're not going to just snatch it away, um, but you're going to say, okay, you're showing me that you have the maturity and the discernment to, to actually be able to engage with this. Um, now, of course, you're going to choose age-appropriate stuff. I'm not saying you just open up Pandora's box for your kids. But um, but that was just one thing, one little tip I learned on my journey as well, with especially with this point, to teach them to carefully evaluate ideas. Any other thoughts on that one? Yeah. Oh, I just, I think that's brilliant, Elisa. I'm so glad that you shared that because I never thought before about how yeah. a child might be scared. Oh, if I point out to mom that there's a wrong idea here, she's going to take this show away. So yeah. I just think that's brilliant, you know, so in reward you know, that sound evaluation and logical analysis. I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Number five is equip to speak the truth in love. And I think this is so important. So talk about that one. Equip your kids to speak the truth in love. Yes. Well, you know, once we've trained our kids, you know, 
to understand the biblical worldview, to understand the different ideas that are out there. Once they're like firmly grounded in scripture, you know, they understand how to evaluate ideas. We don't want them walking around bashing other people on the head with truth as if it's a hammer. I mean, because that completely contradicts the biblical worldview. You know, I mean, Jesus spoke the truth very boldly, but he always did it with grace because he always knew what was best for the people that he was engaging with. And so that's something that's really important. You know, once we've equipped our kids to think well, we want to make sure that they understand, okay, how do I communicate this truth in a way that is loving? And so one activity that I used to do with my students in my classroom that I always recommend that anybody working with children, you know, just does is actually teach our kids how to practice active listening. Mm. And the amazing thing happened, the amazing thing that can happen is your relationship with your kids might actually even improve. Your relationship with your spouse might even improve, you know, like as you practice yeah. this, just learning how to actively listen to something, someone. So what I recommend is just getting, you know, like a tennis ball, or if you have children that are going to like check the tennis ball at somebody's head, get like a, a softer, you know, something that they're going to just roll across the floor and just sit kids across a room from one another and give them a list of questions, you know, just like, what's your favorite family memory? You know, like describe your, your ideal day, you know, just easy questions that they can go through and then have them ask the person at the other end of the room, that question, and just like roll the ball to them, you know, like what's your favorite family memory, you know, roll the ball to them. Then that person has the ball. They share their favorite family memory. They roll the ball back. And the other person says, so what I hear you saying is, and mm. then they summarize or rephrase what they heard that person saying. And then they say, is that correct? And they roll the ball back. If the person says, yes, then that person asks a question, you know, and they just practice that. But if the person says, wow. no, actually, you kind of missed what I was talking about, what I was actually sharing was, and then they say it again, they roll the ball back. The other person catches it and says, okay, so what I heard you say this time was, you know, and then they rephrase it. They throw it back and say, is that correct? Just until they are able to hear the other person correctly, because, you know, there's a reason that God had to tell us to be quick to hear and slow to speak, because mm. this side of Genesis three, we are very quick to speak and very slow to hear. So we want to just train our children to be actively listening to what somebody says rather than thinking of the next thing that they're going to say. And so that activity, you know, is just a really easy way to train them to be good listeners. And then after we've trained them to be good listeners, you know, now we, we don't want to practice this all the time. You know, when you're like, take out the trash. So mom, so what, what I hear you say saying, <laughs> like sometimes you just have to be like, okay, that's great. That's what um, my kids would oh, do. Well, they're like so smart. They'd be like, so what I hear <laughs> you saying, and then try to distract me until I forget about it. <laughs> yep. Kids are smart and they will do those things. Um, but once we've trained them, you know, to actively listen, then we want to equip them just with some basic questions that they can ask others to glean more information. You know, like, so I just heard you say this. Can you share with me more about where you heard that idea or what makes you think this idea is true? Or have you ever considered any other ideas or is this the only idea that you've ever considered? So training them to ask good questions for two reasons. One, because asking others questions is a form of loving them, you know, mm. just getting to know them more, yeah. you know, so that's a way that we can love others and equipping them to ask questions so they can gather more information to then be able to speak the truth in a very clear way. And so I think that this is just so important because this is something that's even difficult for us as adults. You know, sometimes we're in a conversation with a neighbor or with, you know, a family member that we just disagree with. And we're just like, how can I get them to see the truth? Or how can I defend the truth without really thinking, okay, how can I engage with them away with them in a way where they're going to feel heard, but I'm also going to help them think. Now that does not mean the conversation is always going to go well or ever going to go well. You know, it doesn't guarantee that, but what it does guarantee is that we're engaging them in a way where we're demonstrating love and we're helping the other person think. So I think if we can train our kids 
to listen well, and -hmm. then to ask good questions. And then we provide them with opportunities to practice that. You know, how often are we practicing biblical hospitality? How often are we having others in our home, you know, Mm -hmm. who both those who share our worldview within the body of Christ and then those who don't share our worldview. So our kids have the opportunity to engage with others. This can be just a fabulous way to prepare them to really engage the culture in both truth and love. It's so good. And uh, just a couple of tips, you know, even from my perspective on this, we're totally doing the ball thing, by the way, we're going to be doing that <laughs> tonight. Um, you know, a lot of, I know we're, we live in such busy times. We live in times where kids are busy, we're busy. And one of the things that, um, you know, I almost hesitate sometimes to share advice like this because it could make it sound like we have this perfect little picket fence life. We certainly don't. Oh, my gosh. I fail in so many areas as a mom. Trust me. But one thing we've really tried to be intentional about, especially this year, is um, meals, like like sharing meals together at dinner, like around the table. And that doesn't mean you have to cook a gourmet meal. Even if you order pizza, serve it at the table and sit down. There is something about sitting down as a family to have that quality time to kind of renew the bond of the family. And then another thing that, again, we've not executed this perfectly, but trying to do one little activity. So this is like the ball thing. That's what we're going to do for our activity after dinner. But even if it's just a round of go fish or a round of uno mm-hmm. or some kind of a thing to connect connect you as a family, I have actually, I I haven't thought this all the way through, but I have for sure seen a connection between us doing that and the kids opening up more with their questions because you're giving space for it. You know, we're so busy. If if we're always going off every week and don't make that a priority, then there's really not a lot of space for those questions to get asked or to, um, I mean, I can't tell you how many times they're just doing a round of Uno and one of the kids would be like sharing from their heart this deep thing. And you're like, wow, Mm -hmm. like, That wouldn't have happened if we were running errands and doing 100 things, you know, and throwing everybody in bed before we do it again. So I know that I don't want that to sound overwhelming to everyone. Even if you could make it a goal to get around the table with your family once a week and then maybe move that up to twice a week and just each time try to have some sort of a little activity doesn't have to be long. Um, Just grab a deck of cards and and play Go Fish or or whatever. And um, I've just I don't know. I, I still haven't fully made the connection there, but it's been incredibly beneficial. Yeah, it's well, what you're doing there is you're really fostering relationship. You're giving them an opportunity to get to know, you know, your Mm. family, just to get to know one another and to laugh and to enjoy one another. And when that happens, you know, when we know someone, better. And when we have the, op- when we feels like there's not a lot of pressure and we have the opportunity to laugh, you know, we're much more willing to be vulnerable, you know, to let somebody see who we really are, to ask those questions. I mean, I, I even recommend that for like small groups at churches. Like if you just get together and you immediately go into discussion, like sometimes that's like super awkward. You're yeah, like, yeah. You're like <laughs> I don't even know, know you. That well, and now we're like, <laughs> what do we think about this thing in scripture where my small group right now, we have dinner together every Wednesday and we just spend time like laughing around the table. And then it's so much more natural to then talk about a passage of scripture because we've just been involved in each other's lives in a very real way, you know, like rather than just yeah. filing in and be like, okay, we're going to talk about scripture now. So I think, you know, like yeah. I haven't fully parsed this out either, but I think what you're describing is, you know, just real genuine relational investment. <laughs> yeah. And even really curating it in a way that sometimes your kids aren't even like, they don't want to do it. Like we have this, I, f- I feel like this Christmas will go down as the Christmas of the puzzle. <laughs> I got this puzzle <laughs> that was apparently impossible to put together because we never did finish it, but we would, we set it out on, uh, on the table. And so like it, it got to the point where the kids hated doing this puzzle so much that I would say, <laughs> okay, after dinner, we're going to set the timer for 20 minutes. We are all going to work on the puzzle for 20 minutes. 
minutes and then we can stop. And finally, we just decided it was not solvable. And as a family, we decided to chuck the thing. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> even though I probably could have taught my kids to finish a task, it was like, we decided as a family, this puzzle stinks and we're never doing it again. And, you know, even that, just forming that family identity and bonding together, it's like, we'll always remember they didn't want to do it in the moment, but I bet they'll look back on that as kind of a fun memory of how terrible that awful, horrible, no good puzzle was. <laughs> so, all right. As we close out here today, Elizabeth, leave our parents and our youth leaders and pastors and aunties and uncles and grandparents who are listening to this with some encouragement about the hope that you have for this next generation coming up. I've seen you post on Facebook about the hope you have for this up and coming generation. Why don't you share some of that? Yeah, well, my hope for this up and coming generation lies, I think, in the only place that our hope lies. You know, it lies in the truth of the resurrection of Jesus and the fact that God is in the mission of reconciling the world to himself. And so for those of you who are watching and listening, like, first of all, I just want to encourage you for investing, you know, almost an hour of your life, just thinking mm -hmm. through, you know, how can you get these kids in your care to carefully evaluate these ideas and understand the truth of the biblical worldview? You know, that's, that's, that's a worthwhile investment. So just really want to encourage you there. And then also just want to encourage you to, you know, like make sure that in this cultural climate, you know, climate that we're in that is so busy, you know, as you mentioned, Elisa, just to really pause and to really ask God, you know, like, what do I have in my plate right now that really, you know, that, that you have for me, Lord, you know, that's really important. Mm -hmm. And what have I added? What good things have I added that are actually keeping me and my family and my ministry from the best things, you know, because mm. those moments you mentioned, Elisa, you know, playing go fish around the table, you know, having those times to, you know, even do a puzzle that everybody hates, yeah. you know, those moments aren't going to be available if we are just packed out to the max in our schedule. So that's, that's one thing that I just really encourage anyone working with children to do is really spend time seeking out, you know, God, what do we have in our schedule here that really is helping us seek you and is ultimately beneficial? And what good things did we have that, you know what, we might need to clear off so that we have more time for the best thing. Well, I want to thank my guest, Elizabeth Urbanowicz from Foundation Worldview. Don't forget to go to foundationworldview.com and use the code ALISA to get 10% off of any family license. Guys, this is a great deal, and I can't recommend it enough. We love it. We've been doing the comparative worldview religions curriculum, and it's wonderful. So go to foundationworldview.com and use the code ALISA for 10% off of any family license. Also, if you yourself want to equip yourself better and you want to look into to some higher education on some of these theological and philosophical topics, go to Southern Evangelicals website. That's ses.edu slash Alisa. I'm currently a student at SES. I can't say enough about them. You guys know it. I've talked about them a bunch. They really shepherded me through my faith crisis and helped me find solid ground to stand on. And it's so fun to take the classes for credit now and can't recommend them enough. So go to ses.edu slash Alisa. And in the meantime, as we pursue Christ, let's remember to keep a sharp mind, a soft heart, and a thick skin.